back to That Was Then, This Is Now. This is Garrett. I'm your host. I apologize for the long, unplanned break. I've had a lot going on lately. Been working on another podcast project. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Um, I'm here today with my previous guest, Keith. He actually is now employed with us at Creo Sparrow. He's what you would call alumni staff, which is a, a really big deal. Uh, I only know a handful of people that have been able to go through a program and become an employee at that same program they were a client at. Uh, I think it speaks to not only the facility, but his recovery, the strength in his recovery. Um, He's been busting his ass to get to where he is today, and I'm super proud of him. He's proven to be a really strong employee with strong documentation, uh, strong group facilitation, I've seen him blow counselors, licensed counselors that have been doing this for a long time out of the water with some of his groups and his documentation. Uh, he's really taken it to taken to it well. And um, I'm really excited to have him back on. This conversation actually took place on February 4th, 2021. Uh, like I said, I've been working on this other project. It's called If Plants Could Talk. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Or on Instagram at If Plants Could Talk Podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to this project as well. And I have some collaborations with another podcast project. Shout out to my friend's podcast called Assholes in Love, my homie A Dub. Really looking forward to um, cross promoting and working with him. Uh, I'm going to try to get some interesting guests and try different things out, try different formats. So, like I said, really happy to be back. Thanks for listening. Here's Keith. So you're working at Creole Sparrow now? Yes, I am. Yep. That just started. Uh, officially got the word New Year's Eve, like the night before New Year's. It was uh, it was like un- unexpected in a sense of like it was something I'd wanted to do for a while. You know, uh, you already knew that you'd been involved with the whole thing and then uh, just got sat down and told... Uh, it was time super exciting nice uh so you were a client when we last spoke Mm -hmm. like pretty much on your way out in your final days felt like living in sober living um what were some of the events that led up to getting you to being able to work in treatment how'd we get here oh man um it's funny because now that it's happened it feels like oh you know nothing really happened it just kind of went from one day to the next and one day i was a client next day i wasn't but thinking about it now uh pretty much immediately after that last uh interview we did a bunch of things happened um but everything happened the way it needed to i mean i i i was uh I i met somebody got became friends with somebody like uh and in that situation, a bunch, I learned a bunch of things that if I hadn't learned, I don't think I would have been able to uh, have the, I guess, the tools necessary to be able to get into this job. I mean, like, uh, I, I had to learn how to set boundaries. That was like probably one of the biggest things. Um, never really was good at that. Never have been good at that. You know, you, you, uh, you get some sobriety and then you feel the the weight of the world like as far as guilt goes on your shoulders you know like spend so much time taking and taking like no is no longer an answer i can provide for people you know right um 
But so, so you had some like guilt that made you feel pressured because of things that you did in the past. Yeah, to, yeah. To like be a yes man and say absolutely, yes to absolutely. things. Absolutely, you know, serving. You know, I took the the whole idea of service as like a as a recovery tool into a whole extreme. You know, like just yes to everything. You know, uh, I got lucky with uh, getting the car that I have. So you know. I, I figured, okay, I have this this tool that in sober living, as I'm sure you know, is not a very common tool. So when one person in the house gets a car, it's like, holy shit, everybody like needs something. And of course, uh, I had no problem doing that. I felt like it was a it was a gift, it was a blessing in the first place. So who am I to say no to anything ever? You know, stretch myself very thin. Uh, and uh, I mean, I guess the the biggest thing that ended up happening from it, you know, there's a bunch of like little things, but I actually caught COVID. Uh, you know, that was, that, that sucked. Like, and, and it was, it was so shitty because I didn't have like any of the extreme symptoms, you know, but I had to go to the city quarantine for those of you who haven't been sober living since it is a communal living when, you know, somebody catches like a, a very contagious disease, you have to leave the house. And, uh, so I, I left the house, went to the city quarantine program, but the entire time I was in there, I was trying to reconcile the fact that I felt completely fine, you know, when <laughs> I'm in this situation that was just shitty and sucked but um again it was one of those situations that was absolutely 100 percent necessary to have happen in order to have the the complete toolkit that i needed you know I'm not saying that like i am walking into this new uh career path like just fully equipped and 100 percent perfect but um I think uh, that that last thing that I learned was 100% the boundaries thing. That that was like the last little piece that I needed that I think uh, uh, everybody around me also saw and noticed, you know? Yeah. Because that's like the biggest thing is even if uh, you have growth and stuff, it's the people around you that have been there since the beginning that recognize the things that, yeah, you've grown, but then there's also, they recognize the things that are still missing that they people worry about, you know? Like barriers to you progressing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. barriers to progression, exactly. Um, yeah, I watched you walk through that, and, and it was hard for me to watch, and I didn't mean to laugh when you said you got COVID, but I'd be <laughs> just laughing at the situation because yeah. I remember it vividly, and it was kind of a shitstorm, you know? And oh, my I don't God. I had to get into, like, all the details, but it was like, you know a lot of us were at risk and we didn't know who had it we didn't know where it was coming from and uh -huh. we didn't know much about it and yeah that was scary so that's there's one reason why why we were uh we had such a big gap um are you how long were you in that it's an isolation assistance program for those that are, are wondering it's um through the county of orange they have an isolation assistance program and generally you can get in there i don't know what it's like right now but if you call, uh, you can pretty much get yourself onto a wait list at least, and they'll take you in. And I, I believe most of the people there are either in recovery homes or homeless shelters, correct? Yeah, um, almost 100% of them are in some sort of communal living type situation. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, I, I hate to say it like this, you know, because I, I feel bad, but it was, it was essentially, uh, it was like a prison, man. <laughs> like, it sucked. Uh, you know, you have, like, the eight cots to a room the room is like the size of a garage maybe a little bit bigger uh you know nothing between you except some like little piece of like plexiglass between you and the guy next to you you got people like coughing and stuff and and everybody's got covid everybody every <laughs> single person in there has covid 100 percent. which was like the first thing that like you know i don't mean to like trash talk the place cause i'm not gonna say their name but when i was on the phone they made it sound like i was gonna be in like a hotel room you know which mm -hmm. you know 
fucking stupid me for believing that, you know, oh, I'm going to be in like the Hyatt Regency, you know, in my own room, <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, bring your, your, your video game system, you know, you're just going to be chilling out, whatever, you can get like DoorDash, which I was like, DoorDash, that sounds kind of like risky, doesn't it, you know, like I'm going to have to directly contact people, but uh, I get there and it's like this super nondescript building in the middle of like uh, uh, an industrial park, mm-hmm. park part of town, you know, just like an airport and then like cargo shipping places and just this white building with like no windows, just a white building, no name on it. No, not, the only reason I knew where I was was because of the number on the building, you know, the address number. And uh, I was like, okay, maybe this is like a holding center. I go in and they're like, all right, give us your stuff and all this. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. See the place and I was, dude, this sucks so much, you know, no win- no windows, no outside, you know, just the same people every day. and. Unfortunately, yeah, it was a lot of uh, homeless people and a lot of elderly people, too. Not, like, elderly, like, to the point where they need hospice, but elderly in the sense of, like, you know, white-haired dudes or people with, like, like uh, what's it, uh, pre-existing conditions and such. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, and people with, weirdly enough, a lot of people with uh, severe mental health uh, issues, too, you know. I guess that just kind of coincides with the fact that it, it is like communal living places that they're coming from right. or like homeless shelters, you know. Um, I was there for like, I had already done five days of my quarantine and it was 11 or 12 days that the city was saying at that point that you had to do before you were, you know, non-contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did uh, five or six more days there. But damn, man, it felt like forever. Yeah. So long. And I wa- I mean, I watched the whole thing because I was facilitating group, yeah. uh, telehealth with you while you were there still to doing keep great. your sanity um it wasn't necessarily that you needed it but we will you know there there was always that risk and i could see that it was triggering you and, and correct me if i'm wrong but it was because it was really reminiscent of of facilities that you've been in before like growing up yeah yeah uh, yeah that was like the first thing that hit me when i walked in the place that's i, I guess that's why immediately i was just hit so hard you know I, I at first I was pissed because I felt like I was lied to by the the intake people but eventually I just realized it was like dude it, it normally I wouldn't care about that kind of thing it's just how specific of a vibe this place has mm-hmm. how it looks how even dude I'm telling you how it smelled yeah you know trigger things in my like sudden memories and flashbacks that I don't have like repressed but I just don't really find myself in situations that I think about a lot, you know, right. and so when I when I hap- when that happened, all these weird, super specific memories started coming up of being group homes and and psychiatric wards and you know uh, youth uh, what is it called acute short term youth placements like all these different places because you know those places they look different you know it's just like the same painting different colors type mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, so they all smell the same. They all look the same. The food somehow tastes the same. And that place was just like that. It was it was extremely triggering. And you know, uh, you you I did need those groups. Honestly, sure. those groups were the only thing that made the day pass. Because my first half of the day was just passed by that. You know, at least I had people familiar to talk to. Because I didn't talk to anybody in there. That's yeah. just how I get in those kinds of situations. Like growing up, that's how I was. You go into a place. I shut my mouth. I keep to myself. Like I figure out whatever routine I can get away with, 
and then I keep to myself. And so I just kind of, weirdly enough, fell into the same mental place. Like, yeah, you were, you, you had, you, it was like, you, you'd done this before, Yeah, you know? So you probably were able to like kind of snap into institution mode, you know, at some point. Which was weird. Here I am again. And but do you think that maybe like that's the universe like trying to to like give you a reminder or it was like some kind of sign like oh yeah like don't forget <laughs> <laughs> like these are the kind of places you end up in yeah when you make the kind of decisions that you used to make or whatever you yeah know? no that's that and I'm not saying that like obviously group homes but was not your choice that, no that, no but I you know what you I mean, mean like yeah. but institutions <laughs> the mindset that comes along with it yeah you know, the the it brings out a, a certain thing inside you. It's it's more than just like a survival sense. It's, I, I don't know, it's hard to explain institutionalization. I mean, I know you get it. Yeah. And I wanna be able to sort of describe it for, for those who may not know what that feels like or may not be sure what that looks like, but it's such a specific sensation that comes over your mind and these blinders that come over your eyes to where each day is just like the page turning every day. Yeah. Just like, it's like an empty book. Just, you're just turning pages just to go through the motion every single day. Cause you know exactly what's going to be there. And that's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. Like, well, I do think in a sense that it's like your primal instincts, but at the same time you're, we're definitely, we're not conditioned to like live in those types of, in that environment. No. You know, it's definitely like not natural for us to be trapped in a place and be told what to do and when mm -hmm. to do it and how to do it. And, uh, you know, just li those living conditions, I think you're like stripped down to the bare minimum, if you want to call that. They're not even really oh, yeah. like you're the, you don't even barely have the essentials because you don't, if you're lucky, you have human connection. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, yeah. you know. But like you were saying, you tended to isolate in those situations, and uh, you know that that is a good way to protect yourself from from those other people because you never know. In places like that, what comes to mind for me is mental institutions that mm -hmm. I've been in, and and being incarcerated, and uh, you know I was always ready. I remember always being ready to to protect myself yeah. at any moment. It didn't matter. If I wasn't expecting it, if there was some kind of loud noise, it was like I immediately fight or flight. Ten you know, my hands went up uh, and, and any sound, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like constantly yeah. on guard, you know? It's, it's exactly like that, you know? Uh, I, I think we talked about in the last episode, you know, like the daily symptoms that I, that like we already deal with, like having post-traumatic stress disorder, the, the typical paranoia, you know, like every time I get out of my car at night, you know, once the sun's mm -hmm. down, like I'm looking over my shoulder constantly, but in that place, like those serve you, those, those yeah. traits, they serve you. It reinforces the behaviors and it's such a weird thing. Cause I'm used to, you know, I haven't been in a situation like that since I was 16, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That was the last time that I had to go to uh, an extreme situation, let's just say, uh, like that. And so when I, when it's like when you're going through your old stuff at like your parents' house or whatever, and you find like this old dusty jacket and you find that it still fits you perfectly, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, it's winter time too? So this works, you know what I mean? I can, I can, I like, I remember this jacket. I love this jacket. It still fits me and it's cold outside. Shit, I'm just going to keep it on then. And it's exactly like that. I was just like, okay, I'm back in a, it was weird. It was like that part of my mind was satisfied. It's like, okay, you don't have to feel weird yeah. having these behaviors now because it is socially acceptable in this situation to do. Yeah. And I, like, I remember being like, I can do this. Like I've done this before. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Like I got this. The going, I can snap into that, like, like switch into that state of mind that 
is required to be in a setting like that. Right. You know? And like extremely wary and cautious of other people because they're so unpredictable. <laughs> you know, so unpredictable. Yeah. People who just become the... I almost said like the worst versions of themselves, but it's not even that. It's just because they're just doing what you're doing too. Like, it's just the most prepared version of themselves. Like they are just in this place. Like everybody, you know what I mean? Uh, you just you immediately snap into this mindset where like the worst situation is no longer like the most out there situation. You know what I mean? Right. Like on a day to day basis, if I was like. I went to my mom and was like, yeah, you know, I had this feeling I was getting followed to my car and someone was going to do something. She'd be like, Keith, that doesn't happen in the real world because it's, she's my mom. That's what she's supposed to say. Right. But, you know, in that in that sort of environment, you say that and people are like, well, you better be careful next time then. You know, like right. they just say like that that's what happens kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it was uh, it was strange it, to have that happen, too, because it had been so long since I was in a situation like that. It was, um, I, I guess I found myself, especially in like recovery in a treatment setting where it's a very sterilized environment, sure. trying to convince myself that I don't have to like feel like this anymore. I don't have to like constantly be looking over my shoulder. I don't have to worry so much. And then to go into that situation, it was kind of like a healthy reminder of just like, you know, real life still does happen. Right. You know what I mean? You've been in treatment for the last X amount of time, Keith. Like it's, it's nice to think, it's nice for you to tell yourself that like, the world's like this bubble where it's nothing bad happens but realistically speaking you know there's no reason to not be prepared still because like and and that not only extends in like to the mindset aspect but just the situation of how i got in there itself you know i just wanted to assume the best in in everybody you know what i mean i wanted to think that uh that i was so solid that nobody's actions could affect me sure you know what i mean and on like a separate on like i guess on a, as a cliff note too like i really just thought of the uh, like covid as this distant thing that would never touch me you know what i mean yeah. i didn't know anybody that caught it um you weren't taking it that seriously i wasn't taking that seriously i was just like whatever dude. neither like, was i until that happened dude, yeah. to be completely honest i don't think a lot of people around yeah. us were <laughs> like, it was it was funny everyone was just like oh shit so like this really happens and then everything just shut down like every everybody was on lockdown and it was like okay well, this is serious because you know it, 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 as pissed as i was i was still my biggest thing was that i was worried for the people that i lived with yeah you know not because i thought like they were gonna get sick and hurt but because they have families they have work you know they have friends like they could lose their jobs or whatever they could get uh you know there's people in the house who are locals and they their their families are of an older age and such so they could get them sick and shit sure you know that was that somehow i was still in that mindset in that place able to be worried about everybody else even yeah. though in that situation people kind of like start to like defend themselves <laughs> yeah. i was still like well like what if i got other people sick yeah yeah i don't want to do that you know yeah. like yeah yeah, I'm in here, but I'm in here. You know what I mean? Nothing's going to happen to my family or anything. Yeah. Like, I wasn't working at the time. I had nothing to lose except, like, my sobriety, which, of course, is important, you know. And it was, like, touch and go because, like, my, my, my stability was absolutely gone at that point. It was, like, ripped out from under me all within a, a couple hours of, like, being in the house to moving there. My stability was just gone. But I was still just worried. I was like, you know, if... If I'm this like messed up by the situation, how is everybody else doing? Yeah. And then through the groups, I was able to see like a couple people who were like, 
doing their best to handle, but it made me more worried. You know what I mean? Like I, I care about the people around me. I try to, I try not to think of myself all, all the time, right. as difficult as it may be. But which is also funny to say because sometimes it can be difficult. But in that situation, it was like fifty percent of the time was thinking about everybody else. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, your sobriety was tested big time. Yeah, hundred percent. And you passed. You know, for sure. And I watched you like lose your routine and get triggered pretty badly mm-hmm. and uh you still you still walked through it as difficult as it may have been you know you walked through it and then now you've regained your routine right you're you're yeah yeah um it, it's it's weird to think about uh knowing that uh, that happened and just like all the things that have happened in the, the last couple months it's just Again, now that I'm on the other side of it, it's like, oh, you know, it's just another page being turned. But realistically, it's a lot that happened. And more so the fact that I was able to get through it without using. Yeah. That's that's a weird thing. That it's I, a big deal. I don't think about it enough, honestly. We were sitting around saying, like, if it were me, I can't say that I would stay sober through this. <laughs> I remember Straight that. Up, yeah. Everyone was saying that. Like, you I know, remember was, that. From an outside perspective, you put me in one of those institutions, I'm like, you know. Yeah. All bets are off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you walked through it, you know. I remember you guys saying it was a weird, it was weird to hear that, too. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, well, but, we kind of thought it was, like, inevitable, you know? And that's how crazy, like, sobriety can change course so instantly by something that, that was to no fault of your own, you know? Right, You right. caught uh, this contagious disease that everybody's fucking catching right now yeah. and it almost derailed well it in a sense did derail your program at 100%. least but almost derailed your sobriety mm-hmm. you know but yeah. like those humps especially what at six months sober i mean this happened right after we had the podcast pretty much yeah. right? <laughs> within like a couple months or a month um yeah, i think it was like a month <laughs> yeah i don't know i lost my train of thought but um oh yeah i'm proud of you that was huge thank you thank you it's a big um, deal yeah, I, and I think that's one of those things that um, I, I remember I, I had talked to my mom about it while it was happening, and, you know, she says the things that a mother's supposed to say, like, well, you know, take care of yourself, like, read a book or, you know, whatever. But um, I think that's also one of those things that you guys had a different perspective on it because you, you guys are all in recovery yourselves. So it was like your guys' the biggest thing is like, oh, shit, you know, like, he needs to get through this sober you know what i mean like that's something that only people who directly understand that aspect of a situation you know every situation is about like can this person or can i get through this without like fucking up my recovery you know what i mean like you're um i think until that point like my recovery was a priority but it wasn't my number one priority because i was so comfortable in it i was so solid in it and i'd been in a sterilized environment with it for so long that I hadn't had anything that severely tested it. You know, yeah. like I had people that like around us with, you know, social situations or whatever, but nothing that like life altering where it the 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 direct reaction was shit like am I going to get high over this? You know what I mean? Yeah. That was the first time something like big like that had happened. And it's interesting to see how other people in recovery reacted to it. And I think that was the first time I really felt like a sort of um a community or like a bond based off right. of that one simple fact you know it's not like it like yeah you know we're all close because we've been like i you know i was doing programming you were running groups and the people i was in groups with but all in all at the end of the day it was simply about that one thing is like 
he needs to get through this sober and I felt that on a regular basis and it was such an interesting thing because you know you can say like oh I care about this person because they're my friend or they're my family or you know we've been through similar situations but no it was just simply like we're all addicts and we understand what that what that how dangerous that can feel in that type of situation it was it was something that um really substantiated what I believed about not only uh my own recovery and my programming but just the community as a sense like you know they talk about the fellowship of AA and whatnot but before that I didn't smile at meetings like I went to meetings and I spoke in meetings and like I I even liked some meetings but before before that it wasn't something that it was something I did because mostly the people I trusted told me to yeah you know everything was like I trust these people they're telling me to do it I'm gonna do it but then after that it was just as simple as like a switch being hit like now I I genuinely enjoy the beings because I understand what it feels like to have those people who understand that one simple fact about you care you know they care because of it it was a that was like the biggest thing for me that I I got from it in that one situation yeah well recovery is really fragile and I'm sure you felt so fragility of that you know going through that I mean I would like to know how you how did you walk through like when say you got once you got home how did you get back into like how did you re- did you restructure your routine are you doing new things are you doing the same routine um it was it was kind of weird i had this so like before i say this i guess i'll give some context to everybody uh when that happened uh you know again i live in communal living uh people were worried they were worried they were going to get it they were going to lose their jobs their families whatever but what happens is this Lord of the Flies type thing. Everybody just kind of, A, assumes that you got it on purpose for whatever <laughs> reason. I don't know. But, you know, that's just a human instinct. You or know? like you knew when you didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's fear. I it was fear. It was, uh, and, and so when I, when I come out and I get home and I see all this, the first thing I felt more than anything was like anger. That was like, and and so when I say that, it wasn't easy coming back, honestly, because I had to get back out of that mindset, you know, like, I had this, this normal routine every day, and for months, right, and then this, like, five, six-day period, I go back into the mindset of, like, 16-year-old me, yeah, you know, survival, like, blah, 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 just intense emotions, you know, stability being fucked with, my uh, mental health being messed with. And then it's passed within six days. Go back to normal. Like, it was so... It was like a dream, dude. It was like, you know how in a dream sometimes the setting can just warp all of a sudden? It was like that. It was almost like, did that really happen? You know, like... I know it must have happened because I haven't showered in six days. So it's like, I that must have happened. Um, But then I was left with this sort of, like, empty slot, like... Okay, so now what do I do? Do I just go on and pretend it didn't happen? Well, no, I can't do that because that's what I've done with everything else that's ever happened to me in life. Like, and that doesn't obviously that doesn't work. That gets me high. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wanting to 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 erase it rather than just accept that it happened. So what do I do? You know? And um, I had this moment of just complete one hundred percent awareness. And when I say a moment, I mean like a week of just I was aware of the entire situation. I was aware how it looked to me, how it looked to the people that were afraid, and then how it looked to the people that care about me. And 
I don't know, it just felt super freeing. People were like, a lot of people wanted to ask, well, what did you learn? What did you learn? And I was like, nothing. I, I, I mean, I learned that this is fragile, right? Yeah. But they were asking in the sense of like, what actions did I take that I could have avoided? And that was what I, that's what I thought is nothing. This is just life. Like yeah. this, this just happens all the time. The only difference between this and that is that I'm in a situation where I have to explain why it happened, i.e. treatment. Yeah. You know, you have to explain why <laughs> everything happens in order to like have some level of progress. And that's not like anybody's fault. That's just sort of the mindset that comes along with it. Um, well, you were patient zero. How, yeah. yeah. You know, I was the first person in the house to get it. And like there was all these situational things that looked one way to some people and another way to some. And But realistically, all I could say was like I didn't learn anything. It was just something that happened. Um, what could I have done to avoid it? I mean, I could have not wanted to help people, but I'm never going to do that. You know, that's just the kind of person I am. Obviously, like, I, I figured out that I was too much of, like, a yes man and such like that. But the things that became aware to me were things that I already knew that, you know, I can't go around doing everything for everybody. I can't put my own sobriety at risk. I have to be more aware of the 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 ripple effect of my actions. But those aren't things that I learned. Those are things that I've already known. I just... Sure got lazy with them I guess is a way to say it or I, I, I guess I kind of let them drift from my mind a little bit I got this pink cloud mindset about things for a while to yeah. where everything's chill you know I can live the rest of my life in treatment and you know I don't have to deal with certain things but I didn't necessarily learn anything in the sense that like I had some sudden epiphany it was more just of like okay so these things that I know they're real. I need to make sure that they're solidified and I need to continue my life as such. Like, okay, I have this routine. I messed it up. I mean, I didn't mess it up. I had this routine. This shit happened and it fell off. I can't just let it continue to fall off. I have to do something. Right. Um, redirect yourself. Redirect myself, right? Yeah. Uh, so I have this thing where I want to help people. Okay, I need to be pickier about who I help to what extent. Yeah. You know, I'll help anybody. I will. And I don't feel bad about that anymore. I don't feel like it's people-pleasing as long as I have a line that I draw. And every person has a different line for me. You know, I, I like to say that I have a quota for the amount of love I have to give in a day. You know, like, okay, like, with this person, you know, I drove them to the grocery store, took them to the post office. But at the same time, like, I have, like, a sponsee I have to go see or, you know, I need to go do something. I need to go to San Diego to drop something off to my mom or whatever. So I can't do it anymore for that person. You know, it feels bad because I want to do everything for them, but that's all I can do. You know, um, and more importantly, uh, I needed to remember what I'm trying, what I was trying to do, which was trying to work in treatment, trying to prove to myself that I can have a decent standard of living. And uh, that situation showed me that, you know, I need to be more aware that these sorts of things do happen regularly and I need to be 100% prepared so that right. I don't just slip into the you know the dark regions of my mind when it does happen you know not everybody goes into this like weird mindset when they get in, put into that situation sometimes you know not everybody is used to being institutionalized so maybe I, I needed to figure out how to be more prepared for that because I, I wanted to say that I was prepared but I wasn't at all you know that's yeah. why 
you know, I started doing the groups more intensely and my level of care was up because it was very clear to everybody I was, like, not doing good with it, you know? Um, Well, like you were saying, you've been living in a sterile environment and then now here you are, you're thrown into this really real-world problem, this huge, scary problem, and then they... (laughs) to top it off like just the fact of having covid you know i mean the, i'm sure that causes a lot of people fear and then you get thrown into this institution you know it's it, yeah it was uh it was crazy it was i don't know i there i i think uh i think i was really just angry just because there wasn't really anything i could have done about it in the situation since i was already in it i was yeah. like i there's it was another reminder that I have like no control over so many different situations, man. And it's like you spend all this time trying to accept the fact that you're powerless. You're, you have powerlessness. Uh, you have something that you give your power to. Uh, you have to relinquish control. You can't hold all these resentments. And I spend all this time drilling that into my head. But then the first situation that pops up that actually tests those things. Right. I don't know. In the moment, I felt like I wasn't doing good. Obviously, now looking back, I feel like I did as well as like I could have considering I had like six months of sobriety, which is like, you know, not a whole bunch of time, but at the same time, uh, it was like a benchmark. It was like a little mark, like, okay, this is how far you made it, but this is where you want to be. So what are you going to do to get there? Um, I saw how easily my routine fell off. Like it wasn't like I had some intense routine either. I should have, I, I, I needed to have something there as like, um, a fail safe. So now, uh, pretty much what I've been doing is um, I've been trying to open up myself to like learning new things, right? So like I recently I, I took up uh, archery, and I know that's not as like a like something that I can take into like an institutionalized place, but it's been forcing me to really learn how to uh, focus on 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 myself. It's not meditation, right? It's this moment, like when I'm. When I'm pulling back the string and I'm aiming at the target, I have to be able to, while I'm pulling the string and aiming down the sights, be able to clear my mind completely. Like, keep my body still, keep my hands from shaking, and at the same time, hold the tension back on the bow. And that sounds like completely unrelated to what I'm saying, but the thing is, is that that is not an easy thing to do. It's like two second time period from when I have it all going to when I let go of it Mm -hmm. to be able to clear my mind completely relax my body and to not be focusing on the target itself I have to like be focusing on the arrow the bow where my arm is how my feet are spread apart how my chest is pushed out is my arm straight I'm looking at the level on the sights I'm trying to judge the distance between the tip of the arrow and the target to know which sight to use all those things going at the same time am I breathing regularly am I holding my breath yet you know is it completely straight into a T like this this at first I took it up because I liked the idea of being able to use the bow like I'd always thought it was cool like Robin Hood type shit Mm -hmm. but then when I actually started using it I realized you know how difficult of a tool it is to use and the amount of focus and concentration it takes and I uh realized this is something that I've never been able to do you know I know how to meditate I've done yoga uh, I've been in like mixed martial arts or boxing as a kid, but I've never been able to actually take those things that I learned from the, take the tools that I learned from those things and be able to institute them in a way that is actually beneficial to the, to my life and to my program. Um, 
and I don't know, I've gotten such an attachment to this archery thing because the all these things that I employ enable just to be able to shoot the damn thing once, you know, it's it's really hard to do, but I can use those same things in any situation. And I didn't have anything like that before. I didn't have anything that, like, other than group that made me practice the things that I needed to be able to keep my life going where I want it to go. Well, it's a mindfulness practice for sure. Yeah. There's a meditative aspect to archery, and I've heard that from people that that like to do that for sure. It's crazy. Um, But it's also physical, like you're tying, like, hand-eye coordination. uh, It's like you're using, like, your whole entire body, you know? It's uh, a, so I could see why that would be useful, and, and it certainly applies to the situation in recovery because you're you're carrying that with you too. You're focusing on all these different things all at once. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Every situation's like, okay, is this gonna fuck with my recovery? Uh, what is my sponsor gonna say about this? Uh, am I doing what I would tell my sponsor to do in this situation? You know, like all these different things. Like, and not to mention, I have like I have a mentor. I have people that. I consider to be uh, uh, what's the what's the word? It's not not like teachers in my life. You mm. know what I mean? Like yeah. like you, uh, you know, uh, the other people at Creo Sparrow. I have all these people that I keep in my mind whenever I make any decisions. So like simultaneously, I have like a hundred different things that I'm thinking about in every situation, and sometimes that can be overwhelming. But with this this tool, you know, I I, I have this huge attachment to this bow right now, man, uh, because it's whenever I hold it, this sounds like dramatic as hell, but like I feel like I'm holding my own life in my hands when I have it. And that's why like I always want to use it. I have no problem spending stupid amounts of money on it, you know, because it's I treat it like I treat my life. You know, I'm careful with it, even though it's like a, it's a it's a sturdy tool. You can't you're not gonna be able to snap it with your hands, you know what I mean? But at the same time, that thing is built with precision. and if even one thing is off, it can break apart and it can hurt you. You mm-hmm. know, like uh, the lady at the store I got it from, she was telling me how like somebody like fucked with the tensile on the, the string and she was literally just testing it and the limb, the arm, the ropes connected to snapped and it completely broke her wrist just from getting hit by it. Mm. You know, and it sounds like a stretch, but man, all I can think about is this, the the fragility of recovery in life. So, you know, my my life's not like this thing that's just gonna like break like that. But my recovery is something that if it does break, it will fuck me up really bad. You yeah. know, and that whole situation, that whole thing with COVID, man, was a huge indicator, like a bright neon sign, being like, yo, man, this this can destroy you. Like uh, eight months ago, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. Yet, of course we always forget like the pain and suffering that you sure. go through you know <laughs> like i don't forget it and you sense. got a nice little taste of it just the taste <sighs> man of what it can be like it's wild man. yeah yeah and i i mean and this is this is going to like continue to happen you know down the line not necessarily the same uh, situation but i hope not. um your recovery gets tested mm-hmm. big time you know i've texted you even recently when my recovery's been tested mm-hmm. um you know my old behaviors come back really easily and I, I start looking for my my old and only solution. Um, and that's usually because I have uh, fallen off my routine. You know, I'm not doing the things that I know will like keep these preventative measures that I do, um, which I've recently gotten back to, you know. Um, 
like when I first got sober, I had a crazy routine. Like I wrote everything down. I scheduled my day so much down to what I was eating. I wrote down what I ate. Um, it's a like healthy day on my on my planner with like a little picture of an apple, and I'd write down what I ate and at what time. Um, that's just what like worked for me. But uh, I I was running like hundred miles a month. I was like doing really... burpees cr- like crazy, doing yoga like crazy, meditating, and um, yeah. When the pandemic hit, I had a baby and. Uh, at the same exact time, my, my son was born in the middle of the pandemic in April, uh, a day after my birthday, April 21st. Um, so, yeah, my recovery got tested a handful of times. One time when it was the most important, I'm about to have a baby, you know, and it's like if there's any time that I needed to be focused on my recovery right. was right then. I and I was feeling fragile at that time. And that was one of the one of the first bumps I really experienced. There were little bumps along the way. But by that point, uh, by that point, I was over like a year sober, and uh, yeah, I, I hit a big bump right there when when the pandemic hit. The baby came, and I I stopped doing what I was doing. I lost my running routine. I stopped working out as much, you know, um, and I was feeling like very depressed and, and not motivated. Uh, lack of of pleasure when I did things. Lack of interest in doing things, and that lasted for a while. That lasted for like a few months. And it, it went up and down, up and down, up and down. And there was only a couple instances where I was like close to, to picking up, mm-hmm. you know, very close to picking up. Mm. Um, and I did the same thing that you just said. You know, I called people immediately, immediately told on myself. I'm always like completely transparent about where I'm at in my yeah, recovery. If I feel like I'm at risk for relapse, you'll hear those words come out of my mouth, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that if I keep that to myself, that's when I have those secretive behaviors and I start going down that path and it, it happens really easy it's as simple as one phone call mm-hmm. one phone call someone to respond to your text you know like just in one wrong turn and you can change your life completely it's wild you know it is and, and lose everything and it, and it might not be like it might not be immediately that you lose everything but it'll go there eventually and that's what my experience showed me it's you know? faster and faster each yeah. time too you know? yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so the fact that you went through that at six months sober and made it out on the other side, like that was your first test, you know, and there's going to be many more. Yeah. There's going to be many more. I, I will say that, like, um, I don't think I could have gone through that, like, again. Like, it, I, I, I can only do, like, maybe one of those once a year. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, hear you. I, need, I can't do another one of those until, like, this dis- coming December. You know what I mean? If I hear you. Whatever happens, like, I'm hoping that, like... Nothing big happens until that, which is, like, funny because, like, y- you know, you've been working in treatment for a long time now. Like, those situations are much more <laughs> likely to happen, like, being working in. And, like, you know, I've been in working at uh, Creo Sparrow. Like, it's been uh, almost a month now, actually. Holy shit. Um, it's just broke my first month. But even just today, I would know I, we were talking about clients, and I was just, like, talking about one just uh, it's just been you know you, you get wrapped up in their shit and all that because you're with you know we're, yeah. we're on the ground every day with them and i remember talking to you and i was just like dude see look i'm getting like resentful about some stupid shit right now <laughs> like yeah. i can't it, i forgot how you said it. you were like uh, don't get caught up in um caught up in their insanity that's what it was yeah, yeah. i was getting caught up in the insanity and uh, i don't know if you realize remember those words that you said like 
like they still like rattled around my brain like even like when i went home i was like dead tired from like working a graveyard and wanting to go to sleep but it took me like an hour to fall asleep because i was thinking about like the whole conversation you know like during the shift change and i was just thinking about like not even just the shift change itself but the the whole couple weeks before i was just thinking about like the things that i'd said or how i may have reacted to something and i was like you know uh I'm glad I can see this right now. I'm glad that, like, you know, I had that conversation with you where you said those words. It's just, like, that perfect combination of words that makes something click in your head, and it yeah. was like that. And I was just like, okay, like, I, I almost wanted to, like, get a tattoo gun and, like, tattoo it. Like, don't get caught up in the insanity. Like, Yeah, no, it's really easy, too. Yeah. It's, it's super easy. Especially you, start, you start to care for these people, and, you know, their concerns become your concerns. Oh, yeah, man. You know? Uh, I find myself, like, getting upset empathy. Like, about things. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just empathy. You know, it shows that you're a good person. Um, yeah. That's, there's that. No. But, you, you you know, yeah, that that's where, like I've told you before in the past, where you got to, like, pump the brakes and be like, you know what, I'm getting too involved. Mm. You know? And, like, keep that nice. And the, the line's hard, especially your alumni staff. You know? And then they, these current clients obviously don't know you like that. Um, they didn't really go through with you, right? Right. But um, you're you're transitioning from mm-hmm. from client to staff, and and I I mean I walked through the same thing that you did. I went through a client. I went through as a client and became a staff member at the facility, and uh, you're doing it six months sooner than I did. So, uh, like hats off to you because you've been doing a great job. Like Thank straight you. up, you've been Thank doing you. a good job. Just because you get caught up in their insanity, I do this shit too. I go home and I talk <laughs> to my lady for an hour, and she's probably like, "What the fuck are you talking what about? What's going she, on?" She does nothing about the addiction world. She's never had a problem in her life. You're like you saying know? out of pocket shit. And, like. And I'm like talking <laughs> slang and like you know, whatever. And she probably can't even keep up. It's like you know when 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 you probably talk like bow mechanics to somebody that never shot a bow in their right, life right you know? right right <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm still a beginner and like you still get the blank stare and it's just like, right. i'm sorry like i'll try to like say it in layman's terms but with that kind of thing you can't there's really no way to bridge like the the barrier there between like the this specific experience of like going through it yourself yeah. and trying to communicate it to somebody else it's just like one of those things where it's like I, I don't know how else to say it you know yeah um i i i do it is funny to like think about the whole transitioning thing you know besides you i only know uh i've only met one other per- i'm not saying it doesn't happen often or whatever i don't really know how often it happens but you're one of two people i know that is like gone from being a client to working in the same place they were a client at Mm -hmm. and it's a really weird experience man it's so weird but it's something to be so proud of too because you can look at it and be like wow you like look at the same chair or the same bed that you were kicking in or you know yeah and now here you are pulling the next person out of that same hole that you were in it really feels like a unique opportunity very unique opportunity it's, it's a trip every time I look at that bed man like it, I don't like going in that room too much yeah. just because like I don't want to get all sentimental in front of like a client you know what I mean and be yeah. like that's the bed I like with dope sick in you know what I mean like they're gonna be like what the fuck like you know it's, it, yeah, but whenever I see it it's just like and you know it's weird nobody's slept in that bed since I've been working there mm. nobody but uh, yeah I, I don't think I'm a prideful person you know, I, I think about how the idea of, like, pride being, having the negative connotation. Sure. But I am proud. Yeah. I am extremely proud of what I have done. Like, I'm not, I'm tired of, like, having the self-deprecating humor, like, shitting all over myself. I'm tired of that shit, dude. Like, I'm not doing that no more. I'm not talking shit on myself. I'm not, like, bagging on myself because I think it's cool. Like, yeah. no, nah, like, I'm doing something that 
like I know only two other people have done. Yeah. You know, and I since I've been in the program, I haven't seen a single one of the other clients have the opportunity that I have, yeah. and I don't take that lightly. You know right. what I mean? I don't have, but at the same time, other than you, I don't have anybody to talk to about that specific experience yeah. of like other staff members looking at you a certain way, like yeah. the people that were once rooting you on now kind of having like this weird, sour, salty attitude <laughs> towards yeah. you. Like there's like, this just a very specific experience. Uh, it's been super strange, man. I don't really know how else to describe it other than it's just really fucking strange. Well, I think it speaks volumes on your, uh, to, on you. And it also speaks volumes about the facility itself because we succeeded enough and got you ready and gave you the tools, but not, not saying that you didn't do the work. No, no, we, you're we right presented though. you with the path. You walked down it and now here you are. And then that's like, we were just saying is a very rare occurrence. Um, there probably won't be another client like you anytime soon that comes through and ends up being a staff member. Um, yeah. And, and I think that in part it's because you're naturally gifted with the ability to talk to people and to practice empathy. And like, we knew that you had counseling skills, uh, when you were an early client, you know, and, uh, you were given the opportunity to like engage with your peers in a Mm -hmm. group setting as a leader. Uh, and we watched that for a long period of time. And then, you know, you started like interning. We gave you the opportunity to do it like that from like a staff perspective. And it was like it solidified it. We're like, no, he's, he's got this. Like you, And I think in part because you, you have the natural gift. And then another part is because of all the experience that you have had in this setting. You know what I mean? Like you've done <laughs> lots of therapy. And that's my same thing. Same thing. I, I, mimic, I mimic things that therapists said to 100%. me. I, I mimic styles like facilitation styles. Uh, cliches, all yeah. that stuff that I learned from counselors and therapists over the years. You know, I spot out shit that sounds original, but it's not. That was what I was going to say yeah. is like, it sounds like original shit, but like, if you think about it, anything you learn comes from somewhere else, somebody yeah. else, like everything that I say in a group, I don't have like a, a, a fucking associates. I don't even have my high school diploma. I have a GED. I'm not qualified <laughs> to be making up some custom original, like, uh, theory on, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. You know, I don't have the right to be doing that. So, like, yeah. everything I say comes from somebody who's got the paperwork for sure. that. You know what I mean? You're under clinical supervision. You right, know? right, You right. have a supervisor. You have you have guidance and stuff like that. But Thank, that's the unique thing about treatment thing. is while you're training to become a licensed counselor, you're able to, to work freely. And, you know, you're given a lot of creative freedom here, and it's because we Seriously. trust you. We trust you, you know? So... It's awesome to see, and, and it's a fucking huge accomplishment, you know. I look back on the time I went out since I did that, but I look back on that time, and I, I remember being so proud. My mom was proud of me. Mm-hmm. Like my mom just never really <laughs> like, <laughs> like like I'm so proud of you, son. It's very rare occasion because I did <laughs> the opposite of that. You know, I never made her proud. I, I fucking failed her like miserably many many, many times. And uh, I remember when I put that shirt on. You know, that staff shirt on mm-hmm. and like took a picture with it and I showed it to my mom. She, she was so fucking stoked, you know, so fucking stoked. like awesome. it doesn't feel real. You wait, you went through a rehab and then you became a staff member there. What the fuck? Right. right. Like, now you're running groups in the in the facility that you were in groups at. Yeah, it's weird. I remember I told somebody I, I forget who it was. It was uh, they hadn't been through treatment or anything like that. Uh, it was my friend. She's a she's in active addiction right now. I'm trying to get her to come into treatment, actually. But I told her what I did, and she goes, oh, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? 
and I, <laughs> I got so upset. I was like, do you not realize what I just did? Like, I, I, I'm crossing not just a boundary, but a cement wall that is there between staff and client. Like I'm, I, I crossed that boundary. Like yeah. it was, I, and you know what you, what you were saying earlier, like, yeah, you know, I, you can say that I like, I put in the work or whatever, but that, that option wasn't an option until here and not even just here, but specifically you and the other people that provided it. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like I powered my way through and like was like, this is what I want to do and you better know. Yeah. It was literally like you guys gave me the, like we're like, hey, have you thought about this? And until that point, no, I hadn't thought about it. I was like, hey, I'm probably going to be working in kitchens the rest of my life, yeah. you know, like just barely maintaining some semblance of sobriety. You know, it wouldn't have happened without the exact people that were there, i.e. you and Mike and all them. But, um, you know, I, I got, like, really upset. I was like, do you not realize how big of a deal that is? Like, she didn't get it. She didn't get it, dude. Yeah, I was just not. like, I was like, you know, I get you haven't been in, like, treatment, but I was like, dude, I've been in, like, five other treatment centers, and I never even heard of it until just recently, you know, and I've only met two other people who've been able to do it. Like, this is, it's a, it's a big thing, like, because... She's like, well, what makes it such a big thing? I was like, because they're taking a risk. Yeah, we took a big risk. There's a huge risk, yeah. man. If like, if if I, you know, let's not even talk about if I relapsed and got myself hurt. If I relapsed and I got another client hurt, yeah. like, holy shit, dude, that's a huge thing. Like, that's not just them being pissed at me. That's like, translate to to most likely because you guys are good people, feeling like it's like some sort of your responsibility because it's like, okay, they put him in this position, but like, there's all these things that are accompanied with it. I don't even know what exactly i did that made you guys feel comfortable doing that but i i'm telling you man i i i i don't think i could do it again and replicate it the same way it's one of those things that was like just everything lined up the way it needed to and i must like i don't know what it was but everybody was where they needed to be to where uh i got this just the opportunity was there too you know the the the, that position was was open (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, all yeah, the right yeah. conditions to make it happen, you know. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Funny, that's funny you mentioned. I remember when, uh, you know, the, it was like a month or two ago when somebody got hired new, and I was just like, I got all pissed. You had ran a group, and I was like, it sounds like I'm being fucking like pushed to the wayside, bro. Like, I'm. You guys keep telling me I'm gonna do this shit. Like, I got all. Now pissed. you hired somebody else. You guys fucking hired somebody else. Like, what is that? Like. Yeah. The entitlement, man. Like that's that's what it that's what it felt like at the time. I was like, dude, I sound like a dick. Like, what am well, I? Well, there were some about? Uh, there was some advocation for you. You know, you had multiple people on your team advocating for you to be able to do this. And like it you was said, crazy. it is a risk. You know, that's why we told you like straight up in these words, don't fuck this up. Yeah, you know, that is exactly Keep, what don't you guys fuck said. this up. First day, <laughs> like before I even touched like a fucking stapler, like. Don't don't fuck this up. Like, yeah, <laughs> the seriousness in her eyes when she said it too, man. Like this, like the dead serious. <laughs> well, and here's the thing: the like treatment can both reinforce co- coping skills, but it can also be a form of toxic stress that leads to relapse. And mm. I've experienced that. I'm not going to attribute my relapse fully to the fact that I was working in treatment, mm-hmm. but I have been in facilities. I've jumped around trying to find a place that I could feel ethical and and fulfilled and happy and um, you encounter a lot of situations out there in facilities where boundaries are being crossed and there's you know no ethics and 
um, so much so to the point where you may even be tempted with substances. And uh, I've encountered that situation and uh, tempted by your old lifestyle as well, mm. whether that be uh, female or, <laughs> you know, something uh, from the like past. Yeah. And, and you have to like, that's why, first of all, the facility is important. The facility itself is important, yeah. but also like drawing that professional boundary. I mean, that's something that I pray for every single day, Keith. I'm not kidding you. I pray to present myself authentically and to mm -hmm. maintain professional boundaries. Yeah. That's part of my prayer because when I'm on my way to work, it's because that that line when you're a peer, you're not only a, a staff, but you're also a peer in recovery right. with these clients, you know, and, and you have this, this tie to the facility too. There's a lot of factors going on there. So what I was getting at is like, it can be toxic stress or it can reinforce coping skills. And for me, when I felt that the stress was toxic or that it was, you know, not conducive to my recovery, I bounce quick. I won't give anyone notice. I'll leave. I'll remove myself from the situation mm -hmm. immediately. Um, and I've had to do that a handful of times, um, you know, where I was going home triggered, my PTSD was triggered, things like that. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're very blessed for this to be the first place that you're you're at. And I do feel that it will be a positive thing and it'll reinforce your coping skills for sure. You know, especially because you have that you have that familiarity with the place. Right, right. You know? It feels like home. Yeah. It is. It has been my home for basically yeah. the past year, you know? Yeah. I know every nook and cranny of that place, you right. know? Like, if somebody wanted to hide something, I would know where to look, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Not, that, not that somebody would do that, but it's just like, that's how comfortable I am in that place. Sure. Like, I know where I'm allowed to step. I know where I'm allowed not to. I know what to expect from... And this is the best part, honestly, is I know what to expect from... My my coworkers, you know, you guys are my coworkers now, which is so weird to say, yeah. but like I know what to expect from you guys. I've been essentially working with you guys, you know, even as a client, like just working with you guys yeah, like, yeah, yeah. for at the very minimum six months now. You know what I mean? That's the very minimum. Uh, it, it, there's something really relieving in that. I I don't have to stress about like what you guys are thinking of me because you guys are always very straightforward and honest with me, like. Oh, you need to work on this or like you can't say that like you yeah, know yeah. like there's some there's just so much there's a huge thing of no stress there but also my worry is like not worry i guess but one thing i have noticed is something that makes that makes you effective as a you know as a group facilitator as a uh you know everything that you do there and i think something that has made me good at this is that the difference between us and like maybe some other uh like support staff and other places is that like regardless of like you know i just came from client to staff but even though you've had some time since you were last a client neither of us are far removed from like what it feels like to be right. a client you know yes. we still have the huge amount of empathy of like look like i understand what you're saying right now like i know you're pissed off but like at the same time we're also like able to see like like you're also in detox so you're just like uncomfortable in general yeah but then there's still the empathy of like but i get you i know what you're saying you're valid in what you're saying right now like you're still a human being and like you're allowed to say what you want what you feel you know and i think that's that's something that i'm still trying to figure out how to walk that line of like do i lean more towards staff do i lean more towards peer like and you have to find that comfortable right. balance between the two There's and no, that like, is that's something that gets lost with time that I've noticed with like 
you know, old timer staff mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's not to hate on them. You know, they probably have experiences and things like experience for certain things that I might not be able to do right, and right, vice versa. Right. Um, but they, they for tend, I've seen some people f- tend to forget what it was like. They're, they're you know, far removed. so far yeah. removed from it. And um, I'd like to think that I'll never feel that way, (laughs) you know, because I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, As removed as I already feel now, sometimes that can be detrimental. And then other times it feels like yesterday, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. really strange like that, how it it can feel like yesterday. And it can then sometimes it can feel like it was another lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. And I think it's strictly because I'm two different people when I'm loaded and when I'm sober. Those are polar opposite monsters, you know. I was going to ask you about passions real quick before we wrap up. You just rediscovered or discovered new passions of yours as of recent from what I've seen. And that's been something that I've been doing too lately is like rediscovering or relighting that fire because my recovery was suffering and uh, my mental health has been suffering severely. And that's the one thing I know how to do is, is to, to, to deal with those things. Mm -hmm. Um, How, like, how does it feel to be rediscovering or discovering new things about yourself? And like, what do you, what, what, what are you going to do with, with these right now? Like, do you have a plan for like, what, what's next? You got, you got this goal done. Like I wanted to work in treatment. Mm-hmm. You got that checked off. What's next? And it's passion. It's like, I know it's gotta be a passion project. Well, one, the podcast, it's an obvious yeah. one, mm-hmm. but, um, we know about that. Yeah. Like what else is going on in your head? Um, cause I saw you in the meeting the other night and like light up <laughs> when we were talking about passions. Yeah. I and I think that's, I think that's like <laughs> the direction we should go with this episode. Um, at least towards the end, you know? Yeah. Um, honestly, man, it's, it's been crazy. Um, I feel is, this is something that happens, uh, you know, again, talking to people who may not know who may be in active addiction or may not know what it's like to go from active addiction to sobriety but the first thing you realize is like the little stupid shit that you forgot that you like to do you know like I my first time in treatment my sister came to visit me and she was like so how do you feel and I, was, I started bawling crying I was like I love the Matrix movies like <laughs> I swear to god it was like a half hour visit where I just couldn't stop talking about like the Matrix movies and I was like I'm gonna watch them then. But that's what it feels like, that sort of moment of, like, rediscovering these things and then discovering new things. And it's been this huge, constant fulfillment, you know, whether it's rediscovering something I used to like continue or continuously doing something I've always known I liked, but then also having the mental capacity to continue doing it or, like, with the bow, you know, moving on to something that is difficult but has such a huge sentimental value and is almost a metaphor for my life that I can use on a regular basis to practice things that I need to practice. Um, but within that, you know, you ask me what's next. And it's funny you say that because for like the last five months, man, all it's been has been the podcast and like work. Those were like two goals. And there was a couple bad moments where like I thought I wasn't going to be able to accomplish those. And I was like, if I can't accomplish these, man, I don't know what I'm going to do because like basically 90% of my my treatment has been about like accomplishing these two two, two goals like they've been it's, it was nice because I had a singularity of purpose just like right. every day think about this do this and I've never had that sort of focus in my life I've never yeah. given like a damn about anything that much in my life but now that I've accomplished one of those the very the night that they told me I was like well shit now 
what do I have to work what towards? Am I gonna you know, do like, now? what am I going to do? <laughs> like, do I just become like a lazy shithead again? Like, no, no, I can't do that. Now I know that I'm capable of it. Because before it's like, am I even capable of that sort of drive and motivation? At least there's an excuse if I don't, if I'm not capable. But now I know that I'm capable of caring about something so much that there's nothing that can get in my way. Like, yeah. you know, the COVID situation, people, places, things, like nothing Momentum. got, yeah, like I need to continue doing that. So, uh, you know, I don't like school or anything like that. But again, going back to what I said earlier, I, the people I trust, when they, when they tell me to do something, I do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it makes my life very simple when it comes to choices, you know, like, right. do I want to do this? Well, no, not really. But I was told to by like somebody I Take highly trust to do it. So um, the very next thing I need to do is uh, get the uh, the CATC. Um, need to get that going. I need to do that, finish that. Um, I really want to be able to do something in this. Like at first, when I wanted to do this, it was supposed to be just a short-term goal, something that allowed me uh, the spiritual security, uh, the comfortability and stability, and at the very minimum, the financial security to figure out what I want to do in my life. Yeah. But then I realized, like, just in this last month, that, like, everything considered, because, you know, you remember, I had a first, I had, I had a hectic, pretty first couple weeks. Like, we have a pretty tame place, yeah. I feel like, like, treatment center-wise. It's pretty tame. But, like, with everything that, like, I encountered, I realized very quickly, I was like, I love this shit. Like, yeah. this is, you know, I love everything about it. It's awesome. Um, I feel genuinely fulfilled when I go home. I'm exhausted mm-hmm. when I get home and I just crash out when I hit the bed. That's why I don't touch my bed for like a couple hours because I know I'll just fucking flatline. But um, it feels just so good to be doing that every day, knowing that like even if I don't have like a full shift, I run group every single day. Every day I run group. So like I'm there all the time and it feels nice. So I realized I want to just keep doing this. I want to take this to its like natural conclusion mm-hmm. i want to be able to get everything i possibly can i want to learn how to do everything that there is to learn how to do whether it's like you know writing group descriptions doing urs uh, utilization reviews um you know d- learning how to do the requisition forms for the uas like even yeah. learning that kind of stuff was like enjoyable yeah and even going to like writing like policies you know mm-hmm. for other places like i want to learn how to do everything i want to be able to know any and everything about a place to where there's nothing else to learn i don't know why that's just what every like fiber of my body is telling me to do is to just push it as far and as hard as i can until there is nothing left to Mm -hmm. do and then from there i feel like i'll know what to do next because like once you have amassed a hundred percent knowledge about one specific thing the only thing left to do is to create more of that thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Now, I'm not saying that I know right now, like, I want to open up a treatment center. That's just, That would be really naive and irresponsible to say, you know, considering I have no idea what that even looks like. But I know once I know everything about, like, what it takes to, like, know everything about a, a treatment itself, I'll know what to do next. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is, but I know that I will. And when I say that, I it still feels right. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I don't know how or why this came to me so quickly. Like after starting, because like you know, like I was saying, I finished my first month and I'm excited about it and it feels like a long time. But really, a month's a month. Month's thirty days. You know what I mean. And thirty days of work is really like ten days straight of mm-hmm. consistent twenty four hour days. You know what I mean. That's not a long time to be somewhere. But 
at the same time, uh, there's this just absolute yes in it. You know, like without a doubt, without hesitation, I want this. I want everything about this. I love this. I. It feels like. I I don't know. This this may sound crazy, but it it must be what like a foster child feels when they like meet family or like a long lost kid in a TV show when they they meet their family and it's like oh that's why I like going outside you belong yeah. here you feel I like belong you belong here well yeah. and the thing about it too we as addicts uh, often are never satisfied mm-hmm. you know and we like to at least I'll speak for myself I tend to go all out in everything I do you know one hundred percent. Um, there's been phases when I've gone all out into this field, but I have so many other things that I'm doing. I'd say most of my like energy has been channeled into the plant business thing. And that's like the direction that I'm going in. And then this is like more like my side project. It mm. was the opposite. But now that's just, you know, that's that's where my, my heart is telling me to go. But here's another thing I was going to say about being an addict and working in this field is it it exercises that part of us that 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 craves low-key or like needs or is cross-addicted to chaos um Mm -hmm. you know it it, we 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 enjoy we're comfortable in the shit you know i love being in detox even when shit jumps off like as much as it sucks it's that i'm good at that Mm -hmm. i know i can handle no matter what situation i've had clients overdose i've had to narcan them more than once to bring them back i've had to do cpr i've walked in on crazy situations and uh de-escalated and redirected things that I used to be involved in myself, Mm -hmm. that I used to be the creator of. And there's nobody that knows how to deal with those situations better than us. Right. You know, and like a part of me sickly likes that. Like I like that, the the crazy shit, the crazy shit that goes down. I I take joy in in fixing it or or trying to redirect it, you know? and it's beautiful, you know, it and it's is. awesome that you're feeling so passionate about it. And uh, I'm with you in the sense that I am, I'm going, I think I could see myself doing this forever, you know, but at a point where like, I like my ideal schedule, I told you was like, I'd want to be a, like a part-time case manager, mm-hmm. you know, and that way I still have, cause I'm a family man. I have all these things, you know, I got kids, I got all these things I want to do. Um, and if you have the, the ability to be able to put yourself fully into something if i could do that if i could realistically see myself full-time school full-time focus on treatment i would you know and there was times in my life where maybe i could have pulled it off but i've had kids forever right, so it's right. like you know so that it's awesome that you have that you know and, and you can focus all your attention on one thing mm-hmm. and, and if you can find a way like we've talked about in the before is like to have a balance between your passions and your work all those things that you love yeah. to do and, and apply apply the things that you're doing to your recovery, which it sounds like you've been doing with the archery thing. Uh, you've found a way to to like metaphorically and, and relate it and have it be a part of your recovery. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what, what we've been talking about every time we talk about that. Yeah. You know, and you're it's, doing it. It's crazy. To and like here we are practice. doing it right now, too. This yeah. what we're doing right now is that. You know, we're expressing ourselves, we're talking addiction, and we're doing something that we've just recently discovered we like to do. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Keith. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, brother. Of course. All right. Uh, Make sure to like, review, and subscribe. And thank you very much to Mike of Creo Sparrow Mm -hmm. uh, and the Creo Sparrow studio. Uh, That's all I got for you guys. Thanks.